All right, welcome back to another great episode of the Dan on Top Show. I'm your host, Dan Lukowitz, and today we've got a special guest in a special new location. I hope you guys love this new set. This is sick. So this is a good friend. This is a colleague. This is a, a legal advisor, real estate investor. I mean, the list goes on and on. Let's just cut to the chase. This is Hugh Woodrow. He's a partner at the Cornyn Law Firm. Hugh, how you doing? Doing great, Dan. Thanks for having me here today. It is my pleasure. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and today's the day. So everybody buckle up, relax, enjoy the show. Hugh Woodrow is about to drop some gems with Dan Lukowitz here on the Dan on Top Show. By the way, if you want to watch this again or you want to watch other things, check out the website, www. Actually, you don't even need the www's anymore, right, guys? It's just danontop.com, danontop.com. You want to email me? Shoot me an email, dan at danontop.com. Let me know what I can do to add value and provide some great times. So, Hugh, before we get into anything else in the show, I want you to tell the Dan on Top viewers, who is Hugh Woodrow? Dan, I'm an attorney that's been practicing for over 20 years now, specializing in real estate, transactional matters, contracts, you name it. I've had my hands in it at some point in time in my life. Okay. We can go a lot of directions with that, but we're not <laughs> going to. Um, I'd love to know what you specialize in. I love, for, I know already, but I'd love for you to tell the world what you specialize in and, and why they sh people should work with you. Uh, again, I, I do a lot of real estate transactional work. I've done a lot of uh, commercial real estate, leasing, contract negotiation, whether it be for multi-billion dollar corporations internationally. I've dealt with uh, contracts and real estate matters over in the EU, Canada, United States, Mexico. So wow. again, it's, it's been a fun, interesting ride over the last 20 plus years. And um, you know, I've, I've been involved in so many different types of deals, whether it be like-kind exchanges, cash deals, uh, mortgage, land contracts, lease with options to buy. I mean, it, there's a million different ways to structure a deal. And that's one sure. of the reasons why I love real estate. Yeah. You know, the, the people always ask me, can you do this? Well, of course you can. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean it's just a matter of negotiating the deal. And if, if the seller and the buyer are on, on the same page, there's pretty much no limit to how you can uh, effectuate that transaction. Absolutely. Let's go in that direction, effectuating transactions in any way you want. Let's talk about some creative deal structures. Why don't we just get real with people and talk about some things we're working on, right? So is it is it is it okay to talk about a little bit of that? Absolutely. Okay, awesome. So, by the way, Hugh always says yes. I love him. He always says <laughs> That's yes. That's not true. <laughs> Almost always says yes. All right. So, here's a deal that you and I know about, right? So, there's a we're not going to give out too much distinguishing information, but we'll, we'll talk about it. So, there's a deal, right? You've got somebody, I believe they passed away. Maybe they have heirs. Maybe they don't. You'll talk a little bit about that. They've got property, right? And that property may be on the market, may not be on the market. That property found its way into someone else's purview, right? And that property is now going to be transacted on. And there's some interesting things going on with the property in terms of uh, existing debt, uh, in terms of, of, of you know, the condition of the property. I don't want to say too much unless you're comfortable, but, but you know which property I'm talking about? I do. Okay. Can we go into it? Well, we can. And we don't have to necessarily go into that particular property. It's not an unusual situation where someone who owns a piece of property, a house, commercial property, whatever it happens to be, their personal residence, and they, they die and they might not have any living heirs. Yeah. Uh, they never got married, they never had kids, or maybe they predeceased their spouse, so now the property is their name solely, and it's up to the estate then to figure out what to do with this property. If they don't have any heirs, meaning they don't have any children, they don't have any, their parents are probably predeceased them, they don't have any brothers or sisters, well, what happens to that property? Again, in this particular instance, when you're talking about this person did leave a trust behind. So the, the contents of the trust dictate what can happen with this property. Yeah. And basically, what the, in this particular instance, the, prop, the trust says, liquidate my assets and give my money to A, B, C, and D. Right. 
So the assets, one of the major assets of this trust was the house. So as you know, the trust is required to liquidate the house, take the proceeds and, and distribute it pursuant to the trust. How that house is distributed or how it's sold, I mean, the trustee of the trust has a fiduciary duty sure. to make sure that the house is disposed of properly and at fair market value. They can't just go sell it to their brother for a dollar. You know, they do have a, a duty to make sure that they uh, get fair market value for the house and it has to be an arm's length transaction. Again, for instance, if I happen to be the trustee which uh, of the trust, I can't sell it to my wife or my girlfriend or my brother or my sister. I mean, that right. doesn't... Non, that's would be a non-arm's length transaction? It, that... It could be. I'm yeah. not saying you can't do that. Right. In certain circumstances, you can. But again, it has to be an arm's length transaction. I mean, you know, you have to get the right price for it. You have to make sure you get it. That you might, you know, it, it, it's always better to get three or four offers on the property, and then you pick the one that's the best offer, right? Absolutely. And the best offer, as you well know, in real estate doesn't necessarily mean the one with the highest price. Right. You highest know, it, and it, best the, terms. In the best terms, and the exactly. terms are, are key on that as well. And absolutely, I think that's the one thing that a lot of people out there. Uh, especially they're new to the real estate game is uh, doesn't realize the best or highest price isn't always the best way to go. You're 100% right. So let's talk about this deal that you may or may not be the trustee of, uh, <laughs> that I may or may not have some involvement in, you know, on behalf of something in this this uh, type of hypothetical situation. So uh, regarding that deal, you mentioned something about the trust as specific guidelines on how to dispose of that property after death, correct? Correct. So in that situation, let's say I'm the buyer or I'm representing a buyer or something, um, can I look at that trust, or is that totally private? That's a good question. Um, I know. I don't see why. I mean, a trust is someone's private business, yes. right? So, and one of the reasons why people put things into a trust is because they don't want to go through probate. They don't want it to be out in the public. Right. If you have some interest in property owned by the trust, meaning you are a beneficiary, a potential beneficiary of the trust. I believe you well you have a right to see it as a purchaser of property that might be owned by the trust yes i don't believe you have a legal right to right. view the trust but you might be able to view anything in particular regarding that property that might be in a trust so let's just say this trust if the trust stated this property can only be sold to somebody for some you know for yeah. for a particular reason, like a, a charity or something like that well, if, if it said I want this trust to be sold to or this piece of property to be sold to some nonprofit organization and you as a non nonprofit organization say, hey, I want to buy this house. I can say, sorry, I'm not allowed to sell it to you. The trust mm -hmm. says it has to be sold to a nonprofit organization. You say, really? And I, I in my opinion, as the attorney, I have the I, I would then have the right or the even an obligation to show you at least that part of the trust that says, look, this is what the trust says. Mm -hmm. It's not illegal what it says. And it says I can't sell it to an individual. I have to sell it to a nonprofit. Right. Interesting. So in, in the case, let's just say I happen to know the attorney who's the trustee. And I, I would ask that attorney, perhaps, hey, I'm the buyer. Hey, we're working on a deal. Can I see the trust? Now you have, as the trustee, jurisdiction to make a decision, if that makes sense. I do have a, I, I mean, I do. As a trustee, I would have the, you know, it would be my obligation to see what under the trust my powers and authority is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Again, I, as a trustee, a trustee doesn't have the authority to distribute the trust to, to the world. Right. So, you know, in, in actually, they have a fiduciary duty not to do that because, again, right. it's someone's private business that they want <coughs> to keep private. So, could I disclose that to a potential buyer? Again, I, I, no, I can't, I, I don't think I could disclose the entire trust to them. Anything in particular to that piece of as property? As it pertains yes. to the property. As it pertains to the property, I would agree, yeah. I would, I would, I, 
if this person signs the person and it looks like a serious buyer, then yeah, Interesting. They, they would have a right to take a look at what the parameters of, of the distribution of that property would be. Okay, well, I may or may not be sending you an email after the show. So uh, at any rate, as it pertains to that specific property in my mind, I'm recognizing that some of these properties, and this one maybe in particular, have existing debt on the property, right? That the previous owner had obtained maybe in the last year, maybe in the last 28, 30 years, right? There's a really hot topic that I think has changed quite a bit over the last five years and then dramatically over the last two years and probably the last six months. And that is what we call subject twos or the assumption of existing debt. Now, previously, at least the way that it was taught to me when I was a, a youngster growing up in this industry, you know, 15, 20 years ago, is that when there's existing debt on a, on a property, a potential buyer can assume that debt. Now, almost every residential mortgage, if not every residential mortgage, has a due on sale clause. What that means is that if the property is sold or transferred, that mortgage is technically due on sale and the lender can call the note due at any point with a short amount of notice. Now, prior to the last few years, most of my colleagues were doing this all the time, buying things and so to speak, triggering the due on sale clause technically, but I had never really heard of an example with the exception of one time that the actual lender called the note due. Because typically in these loan packages, the bottom line of hundreds of, of pages of documents, and again, I'm not a lawyer, consult with a lawyer, a great one like you, but I'm not a lawyer, but the bottom line is, is you pay, you stay, you don't, you won't, right? So in my experience and experience of my colleagues, people kept paying, even though they were the new owner, and even though the due on sale clause was triggered, they got to stay in the property and the, the note was never called due. Now, from what I understand, that has changed dramatically over the last few years. And some lenders are adamantly calling notes due. What can you tell us about those changes and what the current status is? Uh, again, it goes back. I mean, there's been a lot of turmoil, I used to say, in the mortgage banking industry in the last even 10 years, really. Really? A lot of change. <laughs> so, you know, a lot, a lot of things, Freddie Mac, Freddie Mac going down and, and, the, and the rules and regulations have been tightened and lenders aren't as loose as they used to be with it so to speak so um yeah mo most larger mortgage institutions that i know of trigger that you know do on sale or do on transfer clause they they don't want to mess around with it and though they and and they make you know in actuality they make more money if they get a new mortgage so they might they might qualify you for a mortgage to buy the house to pay them off. Oh, interesting, interesting. Meaning they'd rather just go ahead and, and, and get a get new a mortgage. mortgage. So as long as you're a qualified buyer, they might say, yeah, yeah, we're gonna call that no due. Just get a new loan with us. Exactly. Fascinating, that is I mean, interesting. As a real estate agent or yourself in dealing with this, you know that the closing costs and mm -hmm, transaction mm -hmm. fees, the mortgage fee, they up, you know, they tack on a couple, three, four thousand dollars in fees that they now yeah, get. Yeah, and on a small loan, it could be that could be a point or two. Exactly. Be one or two percent at the closing table. So, the, you know, the, and especially the mortgage people at the banks or these mortgage companies, the, the salespeople, that's what they are. These mortgage brokers, they're salespeople. They want to get their commission. Well, they're not going to get a commission if you just assume a debt. Yeah. They're going to get commission if they sell if they that close out so one mortgage and, get a, and, and issue a new mortgage to somebody else. That is so fascinating. So we can kind of extrapolate from here, and this is something I believe in all the time, right? I always talk about providing value, everything else follows from there, but when we look at a deal or a situation, I like to always look for creative deal structures that create a win-win-win, right? Because if I win and you win and the other person wins, we kind of have no, if we want to win, we want to keep being winners, we have no choice but to work together. So in the lens of winning, 
we want the lender to win to a certain extent. I typically don't like when lenders win at all. I, I like to borrow from lenders when rates are low, and I like to lend when rates are high. But you know, in terms of making it a win-win, if they're going to call that note due, and it could potentially put me in a bad situation because now all of a sudden I have to get all that capital or find hard money or something like that at a higher rate. I'd rather be in a position where I can create a win-win with the lender. Like you said, say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Lender, how you doing? Um, I'm buying this property or my entity or somebody I know is buying the property, one of my clients. And I, I know there's this due on sale clause. What are your thoughts? What can we do to make this a win-win? They might say, oh yeah, take it. We want you to have this debt. It's super low debt, but you know, you're know you gonna have to do a closing. We're gonna have to have some fees. Maybe there's discounts, maybe there's not on certain closing costs. But at the end of the day, I'm probably way better off assuming debt at let's say 3% today You know, with a thousand or $2,000 due at a closing table on a $200,000 property or $150,000 property than I am at you know number one, potentially having the, the note totally due. And number two, you know, borrowing at seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 18% hard money. Right, so that's creating a win-win that you just kind of opened my mind up to. So thank you for that. You're more than welcome. And you know, it, the, the thing when you do something like that, though, when you're assuming the debt, and I mean, mortgage rates right now are at historic lows, unbelievably low, less so than inflation, where inflation it, will be next it, year. And it is crazy low. So I mean, the the assumption of debt might not be the best option for you too, because like you said, some of these older debts might be at six, okay. seven percent. Fair point. Fair point. It might be at a higher rate now. However. In certain circumstances, I could be in the end of a mortgage paying down principal and not interest, right? Am I, am I seeing that right? No, for sure on that as well, Dan. But again, you have to understand, you know, let's just say you are buying a house that's 20 years into a 30 year yeah. mortgage. Yeah. yeah, you're paying down mostly principal on that, not interest. But most people don't have, because most likely that house is appreciating value too. So yeah. Let's just say we have a house that's now market value is $500,000. Right. It might have a $100,000 mortgage on it. Right. <clears throat> that means to assume that debt, you're either going to have to get a second mortgage right. to pay what, or, or you're going to have to come up or pay yeah. cash for it. Most people don't have $400,000. Or they might not want to, right? Like you said, maybe it'd be better to negotiate with the lender and say, hey, I want a new mortgage for you know, 400000 <coughs> or four fifty or for whatever the, whatever the number is at 2.7% at or something like that and lock in for an additional now new 30-year term. For sure. And, and again, you know, it's a time value of money, right? Absolutely. How much can you make in the market right now as opposed to what you're paying on your mortgage? If you're only paying a point or two on, you know, on your mortgage, but you're making 5 to 8% minimum in your portfolio, well, you'd be much better off having $200,000 in the market making 800,000 or 8%, 8% as opposed to having all that money tied up in a mortgage that you're paying a couple percentage on. So Yeah. Great points, great points. I wanna, I wanna drop some gems right here. I wanna go real deep on this, and I hope that you'll join me on this. So, fractional reserve lending, okay? You're familiar with it? Sure. Okay, fractional reserve lending, for everybody who is not familiar with it, it's absolutely incredible. What it states is that, and correct me if and when I'm wrong, because you're the attorney, I don't wanna make any mistakes. So, fractional reserve lending states that if the bank is gonna lend out a dollar, right, the Fed backs them, and whenever they lend out a dollar, whatever the rate is, they get an additional $10, correct? Typically, it's like a 10 to one ratio, right? They're backed. Okay, that's correct. Yep. Am I correct so far? Somewhere around there. So that was pre-COVID. Now, from what I understand in the CARES Act, interesting act with thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of legislation, some related to COVID and, and the pandemic, some not. But um, there was an emergency act that was pushed through that took fractional reserve lending. And by the way, does everybody understand what that means? That means that if I'm lending out a dollar at 5%, 10%, 1%, doesn't even matter because that $1 is like I'm lending out 10. It's incredibly powerful, makes it very difficult for anyone to compete with the big banks, the big government. But what's interesting is 
That was at 10 to 1. Now COVID comes around, the CARES Act comes around, the banking industry is in turmoil anyway because of what was going on in, in November, December of 19 with, with all this intrabank lending, trying to get things back in order on a worldwide level, not just a U.S. banking collapse that was eminent, a world banking collapse. So what happens? Boom, CARES Act comes along, they push through. Uh, emergency fractional reserve lending tweak, $100 to 1. Yeah, and again, I mean, this is... Is that right? Am I accurate? Uh, you know, I ha I don't know the exact number, Dan. I'm not going to say you're wrong at all because I know it went up considerably. I, yeah. I haven't... I mean, again, like you said, the trillions of dollars that went out through the CARES Act and the thousands of pages that, in there, that are in there, I, I, I started reading parts of it and literally I started getting sick to my stomach about who got money for what and how, and now they don't even know where it went. So, so you're <laughs> one of the all of the people that didn't finish reading it. <laughs> yeah, Pretty exactly. Much. Okay. Yeah. But uh, I mean, what parts tweaked what laws and rules and regulations? I mean, it's almost if you go back to the Patriot Act, you know, after 9/11, and yeah. some of the things that that tweaked, and how the government can now basically indefinitely uh, keep you in a cell if they think that you're part of a terrorist organization. They don't even have to have a warrant. Ooh. They can come into your house and say, we, we believe you're part of a terrorist organization. Put we are not arrest. terrorists. We're not part of an organization. And We're not going to – nope, nope. And you can yep. be held indefinitely. It's crazy. That is unbelievable. You know, and, and unbelievable. I don't think we – I don't even think the people that drafted the CARES Act know everything that's in it. It's like a patent at an engineering company. Not The patent is like from 10 or 20 people on the team. Not everybody knows anything about the whole thing. Same thing with the CARES Act. It's absolutely fascinating. So my question to you, we got to wrap this up. We, they're, they're, they're dancing. They want us to, they're clapping. They want us to keep going. I appreciate everybody watching this on DanOnTop.com. How does anybody who's not a major bank compete with institutions that have fractional reserve lending, whether it's 10 to 1, 100 to 1, or a million to 1? You know, I don't know if you can. I mean, unless you're part of a larger real estate investment group. There you go. There's not there much you more you can do. Be part of a larger real estate investment group. Reach out to me, Dan Lukowitz. I am the senior director of the Lukowitz Group at Encore Real Estate Investment Services. Also the co-creator of the CRE Pro Course and the CEO. I'm also a great friend of Hugh Woodrow's and a client, actually. Reach out to him if you need anything. You can catch me, Dan, at danontop.com. Uh, you can reach out to Hugh. Hugh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you at the Cronin Law Firm? You can go on our website, www.cronenlawfirm.com, or email me directly at hwoodrow at cronenlawfirm.com. Awesome. Well, hey, you heard it here first. This is a great friend and a colleague and an incredible individual, Hugh Woodrow, partner at the Cronin Law Firm. I'm Dan Lukowitz, your host of the Dan on Top Show. Appreciate everybody joining us. Please like, subscribe, join in on the community. Let us know what we can do to add more value to you. This has been another great episode, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.